Our scripture this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it in many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. morning again. Let's pray, shall we? Sovereign, the Alpha, the Omega, and who are we? And yet you and your kind and gracious plan have deemed it fit to draw us to yourself like a daddy beckons his kids into your lap to be with you, to hear from you, to listen from your word and to experience the fullness of joy. God, we want to make much of you this morning. We want... um, to come under your word, which is living and active and always accomplishes your purpose. We want, uh, we want that, Lord Jesus. We want to stand under it. We want to be transformed by it. We want to make much of who you are. And so I pray, God, that you would um, guide my words, that uh, your spirit would help us latch on to what it is that you would have for us this morning, that we would be people that are marked by um, your truth as it is expressed in our life, Lord Jesus, that we would um, continue to walk in obedience because of what we already have in you through the gospel of your son, Jesus. And so I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would guide our time, um, that you would direct, that you would lead, that you'd bring the outcome that you so desire for your glory and for the good of your blood-bought people. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Good morning. Again, um, it's cooler this morning. Anybody else? I felt like it was a grace. Um, I work outside uh, quite a bit, and so um, it's been hot, and I'm thankful for the reprieve this morning. Hopefully, we can uh, get outside and enjoy the reality of God's graces new every morning. Um, if you are new with us, we are working our way through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And we are on the tail end of that, actually, in the last two uh, chapters. And it has been a journey, I would call it. 
Um, we've seen uh, in these pages uh, many different paradoxes. Lots of different truths. And if you're like me, um, you can be like a pendulum person at times. I can swing to one extreme or to another, and I can either love my work or I can come home and tell Emily that I'm never going back. Like I'm just, I can pendulum swing, and I am so thankful for the book of Ecclesiastes because I feel like it gives a balanced perspective concerning the things of life. Work hard, do it diligently, run but don't put your ultimately hope and identity there. It rightfully calls us to consider this life and inevitably death, right? Stephen talked about that two weeks ago, that we should consider death with realistic glasses. But it also doesn't leave us there. It also has encouraged us to lean to the right, which is what Dan developed uh, um, last week in finding ultimate pleasure only in the ultimate presence of our God and King. And that leaning to the right is, is actually exercising the belief that God's wisdom is always better than man's wisdom that it doesn't always manifest itself as a better life now. With a better house now, with better kids now, with a better retirement now, with better health now, but that it always leads into a greater fellowship with our Savior and our King, which is always better. If you weren't here uh, last week, I would encourage you to go um, home this afternoon and, and go on the website and listen to last week's message for two reasons. The first is I think you would be um, uh, truly blessed by it. And then the second is this sermon really builds off of that sermon. And so it would give greater context and greater clarity. Last week, we talked about the concept of biblical wisdom. And Dan said that that kind of wisdom is marked by desiring God's will, inclining yourself to the right, and employing God's resources, specifically three things, right? His word, his spirit, and his people. The texts that we're going to look at this morning here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 echo some of those same themes, and I've entitled the sermon Steps of Faith. And so the roadmap for this morning is first, we're gonna see that as a child of God, if you have placed your, your faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, that God is now calling you to take steps, to take risks in this vain life. Second, we're gonna consider some of the things that we need to believe, to continue to believe, to take the steps of faith that God might be calling you and I to take. And then lastly, we're gonna consider some potential pitfalls that we might experience while taking steps of faith. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and follow along as I reread some of the text. We're gonna read four verses and they're just gonna stop and reflect on what they say. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse one. Cast your bread upon the waters 
for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Cast your bread upon the water. There's a lot of different interpretations about what this verse is talking about. A couple of those interpretations is one of them is that people are actually participating in maritime trade. So they harvested the grain, they're bringing it to the port, and they're putting it upon the ships to trade it off to somebody else. Another interpretation is that people are actually taking some of the grain from which they harvested in previous years and they're getting into a boat and they're wading out into shallow water, um, specifically water that might have overflowed outside of its normal banks and they're casting the seed out onto the water so that when the water recedes, the seed would fall and hit fertile soil and spring up and cause growth. Really, regardless of which interpretation you want to latch onto, I think the point is the same. It's that individuals took from what they had and desiring to increase it, they invested it. Either through trade or into the ground with the desire that it be multiplied. That it would come back with greater return than what they started with. And that's really a stark comparison to the man that stores up for himself and doesn't sow that we see in verse four. He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The picture I believe that's being painted here is that even in light of this vain life, the life that is unsubstantial, that is in the midst of the havel, that is here today and gone tomorrow, we are encouraged to Go for it. To take a step, put your hand to the plow and toil. That's been the theme of Ecclesiastes throughout the book, really. One of the themes. All the way back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18, it says that there is nothing better for a person than what? Then he should eat that he should drink and he should find enjoyment in his toil. This is one of the great paradoxes that are found in these pages, that life is vain, and yet the preacher continues to call us towards joyful action. Why is that? Why in these verses... I think over three to four different times, the phrases, you do not know, are used. That you have no control over these things. You do not know whether the tree is going to fall to the south or to the north, and more importantly, you don't control that. You do not know whether the clouds are going to come in and drop rain or blow on by. You do not know. Makes me feel rather small. 
makes me remember uh, the interaction between God and Job. Remember when we were studying through that book? I believe it's at the end of Job chapter 38 where God begins to answer uh, Job through question. And he really, the question is like, where were you, Job, when I did these things, when I set the foundations of the earth? Where were you? So how is that true that we are desperate people, ultimately powerless, unable, and God calls us to take steps, to sow, to make plans? How do those two big realities reconcile to each other? Simple answer, I don't know. I don't fully know. We simply are face to face with both realities, both being fully true. It was mentioned last week, this tension between, which is called providential concurrence, that God is fully sovereign, and yet he is calling you and I to act, to step. And I don't fully understand how those two things reconcile. But I wonder if at least in part, the answer could be found in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 has the parable of the talents. Maybe if you were in Sunday school as a young kid, you remember this parable. Thankful for my teachers that taught me this. A master has three servants and he gives out talents to each one of these servants. He gives uh, a little bit to the first guy, a little more to the second and a little bit more to the third. And what happens? He leaves and the three servants, two of the three actually, go and they invest. They get busy. They step. They take risk with what they've been given. The third, however, and the text says because he was afraid, He hid it in the ground and what happens? The master comes back after a long time and he receives a report of their stewardships and what does he see? To the two who used them well, he said, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. And to the one who hid it, he said, away from me. So why does a sovereign God beckon his desperate children to step, to work, and to plan? Why does he do that? I think in part it's because there's something uniquely special about your daddy seeing you and I take steps. There's some kind of great joy that our God receives when desperate, incapable, imperfect children like me, like you, come along with what their daddy is doing. There's something special when his sons and his daughters step out even in light of personal risk or personal inability. Many of you know that uh, I'm a, I have a farming background. Any other farmers in the audience? Gardeners? 
planters of any kind, entrepreneurs, business starters, investors, okay? And many, 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 many other things are literally ripe with risk. They are a ripe situation where you expose yourself to danger and even loss. That there is the very real possibility of it just not working out. And these verses, as well as others, continue to communicate that we are not in control over the outcome. That God is the one who determines and brings it about, and yet we are beckoned to step. Encouraged to go for it. Point number one, as a child of God, take steps. It pleases your heavenly father when you do so. Point two, what things do you and I need to be reminded of as we take steps? Well, let's look at Ecclesiastes verses five and six. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed and at evening, withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What do we need to remember? God is ultimately in control of the outcome. It's God's spirit in verse five that comes into the womb to ultimately cause life. It's actually the very first characteristic that we get to know about our God in Genesis chapter one, verse one, that God is the creator. In the beginning, God created. He is the ultimate impetus He is the one that declares the beginning from the end, Isaiah 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not yet been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. It's his rule and his reign that truly governs. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six, you alone are the Lord, you made the heavens, the heaven of heavens will with all their hosts, the earth and that all that is in them, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to them all. And the heavenly host bows down before you. Our God holds the outcome of your steps in his hands. So what ramifications should that make on us who are stepping Well, it's what we were encouraged with last week, that there's freedom to go for it, to step in obedience to the leading of the Spirit without any pressure on its outcome. Consider that with me for a moment. In the flesh, I don't think about things that way. Maybe it's my flesh, maybe it's our culture, Right? The final judgment of if an idea is a good one for me is always the outcome. 
All too often, I'm quick to judge the process by the outcome. That the process really only has merit if I say that the outcome is ultimately good. And yet, here, as well as other places in Scripture, the point of emphasis that we need, that I need to remember, is that I'm called to step. To step in step with the Spirit, with open hands, to receive the outcome that God is going to bring about. I think that's ultimately what verse six is saying. He says, in the morning, sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand. What does that mean? Well, you're called to sow our seed fully knowing that we don't cause growth. So do that, be faithful with that and then don't reject the gift that is the growth when it comes. Receive it. It's almost as though the preacher is helping us fight against something inside us that in, in the flesh, like I really don't want things to go well unless I can take credit for them, right? Anybody else feel that tension? It's like I want it to go well, but I really want to get credit for it to go well as long as the limelight, I get to share a little bit of that. Compare that to how God operates. He is the one that all credit is due. He invites us along and then shares the blessings with us. See, our God desires our obedience for us to incline ourselves to the right, to step, to go for it because it is for our ultimate good. It's not so that he can domineer over us, but like a good, faithful daddy who knows what is best for his children. He calls us towards obedience. Knowing that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Several years ago, uh, Emily and I were attending Mountain View Community Church in Fort Collins, and they used a graphic which was helpful to me to visualize the characteristics about God that are needed to ultimately trust him. Maybe you're familiar with the triangle. On one side, it says that God is good. On the other side of the triangle, it says that God is in control, that nothing is outside of his power. And then lastly, along the bottom, that he loves me. That this all-powerful, all-good God has inclined his heart towards me, towards you. And if you think about it, all three of those things are necessary to believe that God is trustworthy. And the best picture of that trustworthiness, his goodness, his control, and his love for you and I was ultimately shown in the gospel where Jesus sent his perfect, where God sent his perfect son Jesus to suffer to die for our rebellion and our sin against him. And where three days later, with victory in hand, he defeated the power and penalty of sin for all those who would believe and call in his name. So what do we need to remember to believe as we take steps of faith? Well, let us consider that the ultimate outcome is in the hands of our God, the trustworthy, faithful justifier, your daddy. 
So, we've been called to step, to go for it. We've seen a couple things that we need to fight to believe as we move, as we work, as we toil, as we step. Now we're going to move on to our last point, point number three. Ask the question, what are some potential pitfalls that we could experience as we fight to step in faith? And I think the reality is, is there's a lot of them. (laughs) All of them stem from some lack of belief in the character of God in some way, shape, or form. But considering these verses and considering last week's message, I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning considering the idea of stepping and the idea of wisdom. These verses have called us to step, to call us to go for it. And then in verse two, it teases the idea of being wise as you go. It's the idea of diversifying some of your endeavors. And so I wanted to ask the question, what pitfalls might we experience in stepping? And if you would give me some latitude or some grace, I feel like this text is really talking to two large groups of people. The first group are those of you that need a good swift kick in the you-know-what to get a moving. That's me. I'm in that group. The second group are a group of people that are stepping and need to use wisdom as they step. Earlier, I said that I can be in the flesh a pendulum guy, swing from one extreme to another, and I think that Ecclesiastes helps bring a balanced perspective here yet again about the reality to be encouraged to move and yet use wisdom. And as I think about those two groups of people, those that need to get step in and those who need to be employ wisdom to step, I think in the context of the church, those two groups can, if we're not careful, be mischaracterized. The first group, the group that I find myself in more often than not, that group that needs to get a stepping, can fall into stagnation, and we call that wisdom. Okay, I am a guy that's got to whiteboard it all out. Okay, the 25-year life plan, okay, year one, moving forward, pitfall, okay, what's the strategy? Not going to move until I get that all done. I got to see it all the way out before I can take a step. And if we're not careful, I call that wisdom. Maybe you don't relate to that. Maybe you're not like me and you find yourself in the other camp and you are a stepping. Good for you. And in the flesh, you are a point fire aim approach to life. Where individuals in your family are playing catch up to your dreams and your life plans, if you're honest. Where you are a, we don't need to overthink it kind of person, we just need to do it. And you and others can, if we're not careful, miscategorize that as faith. Ecclesiastes would encourage us to step, to go for it, but to do so with wisdom. And to further complicate all of that, I think, I would submit that you and really only you are the true determiner of what it looks like for you to step in faith with wisdom. Because it's not based on the outcome. 
It's based in your obedience and you being led. So if that's true, that the only person that can really determine if your patience is truly patience and not disobedience, and you going for it is obedience and isn't foolishness is you, then how can we encourage one another in this? How can we speak into one another's lives? How can you, who is the ultimate determiner of all of that, know that you're walking in obedience? I'd submit that it has to do with last week's message. How do we discern if we're stepping in faith, exercising wisdom? Well, are we employing God's resources as we are taking steps? Are we employing his word, his spirit, and his people? Many of you know uh, Emily and I's story. We uh, limped into Windsor Community Church about three and a half years ago. After being at a church in Greeley for a period of time, struggling to come to an agreement on what the bride of Christ was supposed to look like. And at some point, God made it clear that he wanted us to walk away from that church and, and walk towards, uh, back towards a Crossway Chapel church with a desire one day to help plant a church in Greeley. And it's been three and a half significant years for us personally, where we, we have experienced firsthand, actually, in numerous ways, the greenhouse effects of being under the word of God, with the spirit of God, with the people of God, you. Where God continues to, to use you all and those other two resources to grow us and nudge us in the direction that God would have for us, but some of you also know that it's been really hard. And some of you know actually more than others how much of a struggle the last few years have been for me personally as I've struggled to step. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the reminder that Dan ended the, the last week's message with, that God's grace covers all of that. I really am. I'm thankful for that. But, but as I reflect on the last few years and I look in the mirror and I ask God, have I been wise or have I been sluggish and disobedient to you? The times that I feel like I have been sluggish and disobedient, where I wasn't inclined to the right, and desiring God's will, that, that season of life always seemed for me to be accompanied with a lack of employment in some way, shape, or form of those three resources. Either time in his word, time in prayer and fellowship with him or with his people. It may seem cliche, or even maybe a little silly, but I feel as though God continues to teach me a pastor about the importance of his word, his spirit, and his people. And that only when I'm, I'm consistent in those things do I feel like I can honestly answer the question, am I being wise in waiting? Or am I using that as an excuse to be disobedient? 
Maybe that's not you. Maybe you are over in this camp, right? Where you have to ask yourself honestly, was I wise in going for it? Because God led me to do that? Or was I being foolish? My prayer for you, my prayer for myself as I've been marinating in the text is that we would be people that would want to go for it. That want to step out, acknowledging our shortcomings and need for God to bring about his outcome. That we would be much more concerned about the condition of our own heart when we're stepping than the result. That we would continue to be a church that takes honest assessment of ourselves using the employment of God's resources, his word, his spirit, and his people to help polish the mirror. And then, in wisdom, when he leads, step. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we just continue to confess the need for you to show up and build and bless or we labor in vain and just confess the reality that I so often um, want to make it happen, want to see it clearly before I step Lord Jesus, I pray that you would convict us and bring us to a place um, a great middle ground about what it looks like for us to step in faith and to employ wisdom in your leading. God, I pray that you would give us discernment in that, that you would give us um, great blessing in being um, under your word, in your spirit, and with your people. I pray that as we go from this place that we would ask the question, Lord, what are you wanting, what are you up to and how do you want us to respond? We don't want to run ahead of you, Lord Jesus, and I know that we don't want to be behind you. Lord, we want to be in step with what you're doing in our own lives and in this church and in Northern Colorado and for your glory around the world. And so I pray, God, as we ask the question, what are you up to and how would you have us respond? I'd pray that you just bless and give favor to that whatever that looks like for us individually, that we'd be people that are wanting to go, want to do that in boldness, exercising wisdom. We love you, grateful for the reality that you loved us first. In your name we pray, amen.